0: Hi, I'm Andrew Singleton, and I'm a social researcher at Deakin University in Geelong. This is Australia's Generation Z, a podcast which comes out of a major new research project that looks at teens and diversity. In each episode, you'll hear from teenagers we've interviewed, as well as others we spoke to who were teens a long time ago. This is episode two, Teenagers, Spirituality and a Changing Australia. I'm with podcast producer Jess. Hey Jess, how are you going?
1: I'm I'm okay, but um, on the day of recording it's Friday the 13th, funnily enough.
0: Funnily enough, because when we were first putting this podcast series together, I mentioned in passing that I had a Ouija board. Now the reason I've got one is because of some research that I've been doing on the spiritualist movement, which is the religion that contacts the dead. And Ouija boards have been part of the spiritualist movement for the longest time. Now, you told me you've never used one, right?
1: Never used one. Only seen it on TV.
0: Only seen it on TV. Right. Well, I've got one here in the studio. So for people who've never seen a Ouija board, uh, do you want to describe what it is that we've got?
1: Yes, so the Ouija board, it's about half the size of a Monopoly board. And it's kind of got this uh, faded parchment sort of look going on with a sun on one side and a moon on the other. And on the sun side, it says yes. And the moon side, it says no. And then we've got the alphabet, which is in a kind of rainbow shape in two rows. And then underneath that, there's a line which has numbers. And at the very bottom, it says goodbye. So I'm assuming this thing, it's kind of shaped like a guitar plectrum, I guess, but it's got, it's a lot larger and it's got a, a circle cut out of it. So I'm assuming that's what is going to be centering on the letters and numbers. Is that right, Andrew?
0: Yeah, that's right. So it'll, it'll um, if we can get it to work, it will kind of spell out letters and we'll be able to see what it's spelling underneath that clear part. So that thing there's called a planchette.
1: Planchette.
0: Yeah. So should we have a go? Let's have a go. Okay. So I won't say why it works because I don't want to spoil it, but depending on your Who you ask, it's either the spirits that move it, or more scientifically, it's something called idiomatic motion. All right, how we get it to work is we're going to have to rest our fingers very gently on the planchette itself, and we kind of need to cultivate a sort of mood, so we might want to invoke like um, a particular spirit or something like that. Now, who's the spirit we're talking about before his name was?
1: Uh, His name was Federici.
0: Federici, who was the opera singer who died.
1: At the Princess Theatre in Melbourne in 1888. And he was actually playing Mephistopheles in Guno's Faust. So he was playing the devil.
0: (laughs) Playing the devil when he died.
1: (laughs) When he died of a sudden heart attack and he was what in his late 30s. So pretty young, even, you know, 200, 100 years ago.
0: Okay, so this has actually given me a few goosebumps. So why don't we call his spirit Federici and and see if he's got anything to spell out for us. Okay. All right, so we need to, to rest our fingers very gently on the planchette and so just really light touch. And we say, Federici, let us know if you're there. Give us a yes if you're there. Nothing yet.
1: Nothing yet.
0: It's, it's, it's moving slightly though.
1: It's like it wants to move.
0: To know, Federici, we are sorry that you died doing the musical. Oh.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. Are you okay now? Let us know. You're not Okay. Wow.
1: It's just moving across the board here.
0: It is moving by itself, isn't it? Hmm. Why don't we ask Federici, saying he's here, to spell out which country he was born in, okay? Okay. All right. All right. Federici, where were you born? A. E. E. Hmm. What's that say?
1: It's E-R.
0: E-R. It's moving again. Yeah. E-R-N.
1: N. E-R-N-T.
0: Federici, we don't follow... Give us a yes if you were born overseas. Now there it goes. Yes. Yes. Were you born in Europe? That's gone fast no. to know. It kind of went slow <laughs> and then known. Know the known fast. Wow. Oh. Wow. Well. Oh. We've got this thing to work. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We should say thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Federici. So much. Thank you. We should say goodbye. Will you say goodbye with the planchette? There it goes. Oh, oh it's pointed Gee. up to Ouija. At the very top. (laughs) And does that say G? I think it's a G. G. G for goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, wow.
1: That was really weird.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was really weird, wasn't it? Yeah. I think that we kind of had the the mood right and, you know, asking a particular spirit. Mm. So... There's a good chance that if you're a teenager in the 1960s or 70s, you would have had a go at a Ouija board or at least a homemade version, maybe at a party or a sleepover with friends. There was actually like a Ouija board craze.
1: A Ouija board craze?
0: Yes, in the in the late 1960s because Parker Brothers bought the rights to the Ouija board and were manufacturing it and promoting it. Uh, and in fact, uh, my understanding is that in America in the late 60s, one year it actually outsold Monopoly.
1: Outsold Monopoly.
0: That's right. So. Oh,
1: my goodness.
0: Yeah, there was a really strong chance.
1: Can I ask, what brought about that sort of, was it just because Monopoly bought it? Because Ouija boards were popular in the in sort of the Victorian era, right? Yeah.
0: It was sort of a, like there was this 1960s thing, right? So it was sort of counterculture and it was okay to sort of start to explore different spiritual possibilities. And because this thing, you can make it work. It's kind of like it really does seem to be getting in touch with someone and something, that's kind of quite powerful in a way.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: A- and countercultural. cultural Yeah, and Hasbro bought the rights in the early 90s and you can still see the old Hasbro ads on YouTube for the mysterious talking board.
1: So it's not well known how this toy actually works?
0: No, it's not really known how well it works, particularly back in the 1960s, and that really spooked a lot of people. And a lot of people in the church were kind of really afraid or upset by this particular contraption.
1: That's completely understandable, especially in the US.
0: Yeah. And I think because it was forbidden, the the sort of the supernatural thrill appealed to teenagers so much back then. It was kind of perfect for rebelling teens. And you
1: can still buy Ouija boards now? You
0: can still buy a Ouija board now. And I paid about $50 for mine from a game store in the city. But the research shows that not a lot of teenagers are using them. So less than 5% of Australia's teens have tried one out, and in fact, all things to do with the spirit world, like mediums and spiritualist churches, that's hardly of interest to today's teenagers. If then contemporary teens are not into spooks and spirits, are they into other kinds of alternative spirituality? In the previous episode, we explored the role that organised religion plays in the life of Australian teenagers. We found that it's less than one in five Australian teenagers who are seriously involved in organised religion. But what about the rest? Are they into something else? Are they spiritual? You can't really understand the present without understanding the past. So I want to go back to the early 1970s. In 1972, more than 30,000 young people descended on a farm in Sunbury, which is north of Melbourne. They were there for a rock music festival, pretty much Australia's answer to the 1969 Woodstock Music Festival. The Sunbury Music Festival saw drugs, nudity and drinking. This was a show of strength from Australia's young people.
1: Kids are streaming in, it's incredible. I didn't dream it'd be like this. People are already saying it's going to be another Woodstock.
0: Because of the post-war baby boom, there was a massive population bulge of teenagers and young adults. They wanted freedom, experimentation, and the right to govern their own lives. There was deep opposition to the Vietnam War especially conscription and that only fueled this sense of rebellion. By the early 1970s Australia was being remade and the Whitlam government was listening. It was a time for new possibilities and new ways of thinking. That included religion and spirituality the door for new spiritual possibilities was wide open. In the last episode, I talked about how Christianity was the big wheel in town when it came to spirituality in the 1950s. Spiritualism, that's the religion that contacts the dead, astrology and other things were largely underground movements and seen as illegitimate by the mainstream. But driven by the hippie movement, the late 1960s and early 1970s saw something of what we might call an alternative spiritual awakening. All sorts of new religious movements started to get more of a foothold. Groups like the Hare Krishnas, the Munis, the Rajneesh and Sri Chinmoy movements. There was a surge in interest in Buddhism and Hinduism. Some people called it the Age of Aquarius – signifying a new age of spirituality. I do believe in an afterlife, yeah. So I believe that we go to another plane, and if we require healing after our death experience, we receive that healing, and then we go on to further spiritual development on that other plane. This is Rose, a nurse who's in her early 60s. She began a spiritual exploration in the 1970s. I was raised Methodist and quite devout we went each Sunday to church until around the age of 15. And then I moved away and wasn't so interested. But at the age of 25, I went to India and Nepal and Sri
1: Lanka to travel and stayed there for a year and became drawn to religions there. That's when I started going to Buddhist temples and doing meditation. Even if these
0: movements only attracted a small number of followers, their broader social impact was transformative. Increasingly, it became okay to look for spiritual meaning outside the bounds of organised religion. People were still hungry for meaning and purpose, and they were also prepared to pay for it. By about the early 1980s, the interest in alternative spirituality morphed into the New Age movement, therapists and shops appeared, offering astrology, channeling, meditation, crystals, numerology, palmistry, reiki, tantra, and tarot. The alternative had hit the big time.
1: Thursday night is the spoon bending workshop. And actually on the Friday morning, it is the show me your
0: aura workshop. And the teacher has a camera and she also will teach people how they can see people's auras. This is Billy. He's in his early 60s and I interviewed him a little while ago when he was on a New Age retreat at a place called Lilydale in America. He's telling me about the different workshops he's planning to do at this retreat.
1: Then there's the crystal singing bowls and then the day after that it is gong healing vibration. Something anyway. They both caught my eye and I signed up for it. And there was a couple of other things I'm thinking
0: I'll probably take while I'm here. The new age stuff is fairly popular now, but for the most part, that's really been the interest of baby boomers and Generation X. Where does that leave today's generations of teens? Is this something that they're into?
1: When I was growing up, I just thought, it's weird people that believed in crystals and all this strange stuff. But then it's pretty normal. It's more a well-known thing that people are into that kind of stuff now. Astrology and crystals and stuff like that. So it's not that weird anymore. But I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it every single day or anything like that.
0: That's Lucinda, an 18-year-old, telling us about her encounter with new age things. While some teens are interested, for the most part, the uptake of various new age and other spiritual practices amongst teens is pretty low. For the Australia's Generation Z project, we did a national survey. We discovered that about 18% of Australia's teens have consulted their horoscope for guidance in a serious way and about 6% have read tarot or angel cards. Only a tiny number of teenagers have gone and seen a medium or been part of a seance or even used a Ouija board.
1: I'm kind of spiritual, I guess. I'm new age kind of religious. I use tarot cards and things like that.
0: That was Jana. As part of our project, we did talk to some teenagers who are serious about their astrology or tarot card reading. We asked Jana how things like tarot cards made a difference to her life.
1: I think that most people turn to religion because it's like if you're stuck and you don't really know what to do, you kind of look for answers in something. So the tarot cards or are something. I don't really know what to do in a certain situation. I would use them to get some clarity. Usually I write it down, most of it, like in a book as well. And I like going back because it's actually looking at it like, oh, so it's pretty good.
0: So alternative spiritual practices don't have a huge following among teens. What about different kinds of belief, supernatural or spiritual, but not religious beliefs? About one in three teens believes in reincarnation and ghosts. About one in four believes it's possible to contact the dead. And about one in five believe in UFOs. A lot of the time when you talk to teenagers about things like belief in reincarnation, they can be quite equivocal about it. But that doesn't mean to say that they don't take it seriously or it's not heartfelt. Here's Lucinda.
1: Yeah, I guess. I feel like depending on the person, it depends on like, what happens to you after you die. Some people may go to heaven, or some people may be reincarnated into other people. I believe our spirits might go to heaven, but then like, half of us might stay here and get reincarnated into someone else. It's really up to what happens to each person.
0: When I studied teenagers about 15 years ago, which was an earlier generation of teens, about the same proportion believed in reincarnation and astrology back then as teens now. I don't think the interest in these kinds of supernatural beliefs is necessarily increasing, but it's not decreasing either. But one thing that does seem to be increasing, and that's an interest in well-being and wellness activities. All these new ads for vegan ice cream that you might have seen, they're pointing to a much bigger social movement. In a world that feels increasingly toxic, poisoned and stressful, there's been something of an explosion in services, activities and products designed to help us live better. As many as one in three teens has tried yoga or meditation. In fact, that's a big increase from when we're studying teenagers a generation previous. Now, some of this has got to do with the fact that schools are teaching these kind of practices to their students as a way of managing stress and anxiety. But it's also true that it's just out there. It's not hard to find a how-to do yoga video on YouTube. This is Freya, a teen who meditates a lot.
1: Mum's been teaching me these new meditation techniques and got me thinking about how you sit with yourself. You sit with yourself for a while and then you just imagine something that you want to achieve. Something that you imagine yourself doing, and you imagine you being there or seeing that. It's really beautiful. You've got to try it a few times, but it does work.
0: One thing that divides opinion is whether these are spiritual activities. So I do lots of yoga and meditation, and for me, it's about well-being. But other practitioners, they do see it as spiritual, though. It seems that we can write our own script on this these days. And despite their ancient religious roots, most people don't see yoga or meditation as religious rituals. And that leads me to a bigger point. We've seen in Western cultures the popularisation of this idea that you can be spiritual but not religious. This is what Peter told me. I think we have a, a bit of a misconception that spirituality and religion are the same thing. They're not the same thing. I mean, they can be associated together and religion often goes hand in hand with spirituality, but it's not a two-way street. Spirituality has nothing to do with religion most of the time and there's a new kind of millennial craze, I guess you could classify it as a self-awareness and kind of self-actualization and that really strays from the whole religious and religion mold and yeah, it's a lot more personal. This kind of thinking is not uncommon. About one in five Australian teens say that they are spiritual but not religious. This can find expression in many different ways, through a connection to nature, or just because someone believes in reincarnation. Or it may not find any expression at all, it's just the way a person thinks of themselves. That's interesting, and I'm pretty certain that few teens of the late 1950s and 60s would have said that they're spiritual but not religious. That's a new idea that has taken hold. That's the end of this episode of the Australia's Generation Z podcast. I'm Andrew Singleton, and I wrote and presented this episode. It was produced at 3MBS, Fine Music Melbourne, by Jess karaskalau Heard. See the show notes for a full list of credits. Thank you for listening.